This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hey there, and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Northeast podcast. We are on our 64th episode. This is the week of April 11th. I am Chris Skews. With me, as always, is Emily Oligar. We are your hosts. Our topic today is wheat management for 2022. Um, Emily, who are our guests? Thanks, Chris. Today, we're excited to have Jonathan Rotz and Ryan Premelia with us. You've probably heard those names in the past. They've been nice enough to join us and give us their agronomic expertise. Um, but both Ryan and Jonathan are field agronomists here in the Northeast. Um, Ryan to help cover that uh, Delmarva area and then Jonathan Rotz here in uh, Pennsylvania on our very own team. So would you guys mind sharing just a bit about your background? I know you've been on here before, but for those who might not have heard you before, it would be great to, to hear some background. So Ryan, do you want to go first? Yeah, Ryan Permelia here um, covering the east side of the northeast here, pretty much everything that touches the ocean. Um, been with Pioneer going on three years, probably a little over three years now. Um, graduate of Virginia Tech Agronomy Program and uh, happy to be back on. It's been a while. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I don't know how you lucked out to get um, everything that touches the shore and the beaches. A um, little jealous, but it's okay. Jonathan, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background with us? Sure. My name is Jonathan Rotz. I cover kind of the south central southeast part of Pennsylvania, a little bit of Maryland there as well. So uh, down in the southern and eastern part of that state. Uh, been with Pioneer for, geez, it's almost 11 or 12 years now. Uh, Ryan and I do have a similarity. I actually got my master's degree from Virginia Tech. So both Hokies here this morning helping you out, you know, trying to help out those uh, Penn State folks. Right, Emily? I get it. We need all the help we can get. So thank you very much for joining us this morning. Awesome. Great to have our regulars back on. Um, so before we get to our main topic, we like to start uh, with a section that we call the odd and unexplained. And it might be something a little bit different or a question that our agronomists have been getting here recently. Ryan, do you have anything like that? Yeah, so usually we try to go something that we're not going to maybe talk about in the main topic here, I feel like. Um, but the one question I've got this um, you know, winter and early spring is why can we not or why do we never grow spring wheat here in the Northeast? Um, obviously, main of that, the, the main point of that's been driven by what the commodity market's experiencing right now. Um, guys are wondering, hey, could I sneak in a couple hundred acres of spring wheat and get off a decent crop at, you know, some of these seven, eight, nine, $10 markets that we've seen throughout the winter. So the the short answer is yes, you could plant spring wheat. Sure, you could do it. Um, but the thing that you're not going to probably have to plan on is actually harvesting your crop that's going to be lucrative as far as a, a profit per acre thing. The issue that we would run into here, um, first of all, is that wheat has to go through basically a vernalization period in order to strike or initiate flowering later on in the, in the year. And if we were going to plant um, spring wheat here, basically our soil temps wouldn't be cold enough for our our environment wouldn't be cold enough to strike that vernalization initiation in a consistent pattern. Um, so you might see it in certain areas or certain pockets of the field, but basically what we would have in spring wheat is a crop that would come out. And I would say in my experience, you might see a 50% um, heading experience through in, a, in the plants in a given field. And then 50% of those heads might actually be 
uh, 50% of your projected yield. So it would actually probably end up more as a forage looking crop than you would actually get a grain yield off of. So um, if you look at some of the guys in the part of the country that are planting spring wheat, there are a lot of them are planting it in snow. Um, you know, they're doing that kind of stuff or they're looking for a cold forecast of something in, you know, the twenties or the thirties for that seed to actually go through vernalization because that actually can occur as soon as the seed um, germinates. It doesn't take long and it doesn't necessarily have to happen at a specific growth stage. Um, it just has to happen. So it can basically occur as, as soon as that seed starts to live its life um, and then it's ready to head out later in the year. So um, we strongly advise against uh, spring wheat and also a lot of the varieties that we grow here aren't necessarily um, suited for the, the diseases and some of the other agronomic things that we'll have to deal with. So uh, we, we advise against it. We love to see $9 wheat, um, but we don't love to see spring wheat, so. No, that's cool and interesting. And uh, I'm sure there's been a lot of questions about that. Like you said, about the commodity prices being the way they are, um, doing everything we can. So good stuff. Um, all right, we're gonna move on to our main topic here, which is our, our winter wheat um, and where we are with it. So. Uh, we'll start with you, Jonathan. Where are you? What growth stage are you with wheat? And what, what kind of stage of the, of the growing environment are you in? So interestingly enough, we're all over the place. Um, we've got some really nice wheat that's, that's up there. You know, we're, we've got some collars uh, showing and things. So moving along, um, getting, you know, I don't specifically have anything into jointing yet, obviously. But, you know, we're, we're moving but the interesting part for us, especially in, in my part of the world, is we had a really wet spell um, that came across, you know, kind of that mid-October range last year. And that has really set us up to a real differentiation in the crop. And I know it's driving some guys a little bit nuts right now because, you know, we did get some early wheat in. Uh, I've got some guys that are aggressive and, you know, they'll get it in September. And then obviously a lot of guys go early October. But we just didn't get a tremendous amount of acres. Uh, some guys pushed and got a bunch in during that period, but very few finished up for sure. So got this wet spell and it pushed us off for a good almost week and a half to two weeks, depending on where you're at. And the wheat after that is just, you know, we can still almost row wheat to, you know, I mean, it's obviously up and going, but we're still just past tillering. And, you know, it's just looking like hardly coming. The other side of this is interestingly enough, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this, but you know, we had some really nice warm temps there for a little bit that jumped some small grains. And then we had, you know, at least locally here, we had two like 20 degree nights that really cooled our soils and everything else off. And so it really held things back. Now, with that being said, we are definitely at the spot. Guys have gotten most of their early nitrogen down. Some guys are heading across a second pass we got some guys that are looking to, you know, break up nitrogen three passes and things like that just because of the efficiency that they're trying to gain. Um, you know, guys are getting getting to the place where weed control obviously had to be down. If you haven't done that, you need to be getting on it, starting to think towards some of the Palisade applications and stuff. So that's kind of where we're at in the management game. Uh, that's good stuff. Ryan, how about you? You a little farther along than that or? Yeah, so we actually probably had a better planting season um, than maybe what we saw to the north where Jonathan is. We had a lot of wheat put on, put in or planted on time or maybe a little bit early. Um, so I would say the, the majority of our crop is in that good to excellent range here. Um, and, we're, and a lot of us, um, you know, we're pushing that feet six. So we've gotten out of the tiller extension and 
if you look at some of the other small grains like barley, some of those areas, uh, you know, towards the south are actually pushing that heading. They're, you know, pushing boot, um, stuff like that. So I would say we're, we're a little bit farther ahead of Jonathan. And, our, and I would say our crop is maybe less um, stagnant or, or I'm sorry, less variable. You know, everybody's wheat kind of seems to be on the same page here. So we finished up most of the second shots of nitrogen application for sure. Um, so the, the thing that I guess I always intrigues me about wheat is the feek scale. So I got a question for everybody, uh, for you Jeopardy lovers, um, anybody know why it's called the feek scale or who invented it? This will help somebody win $600 in a daily double eventually. I don't know why it's called the feek scale. Okay. So it's one of the, the weirdest um, growth scales that we have, totally different than corn and beans, but it was actually a Dutch agronomist named William Feeks, and uh, in 1941, he came up with the growth scale for, for small grains. So hopefully that wins somebody some money someday. But Nice. And he used decimal points for different growth stages, which is terrific. Yeah. Great idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, 1941 you're... seems like kind of recent. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from the youngest one on the podcast. Yeah, right. you know. <laughs> But no, I, I would agree with Jonathan, at least in our territory up here. Um, we looked at some wheat in Lewisburg area the other day, and it was tough. It was a, a wet time for guys to try and plant um, this past fall. So some of our growers didn't get in until like right before Thanksgiving um, was kind of the consensus with a lot of the guys we talked to. Um, but overall, I think everything will be all right. Um, we did look at one grower's field and he thought it looked terrible. And we said, this is the best wheat we've looked at all day. So he said, do not get rid of this field. Um, but no, I would have to agree with Jonathan on, on planning time. Emily, I got a question for you and Jonathan. So in comparison to years past, do you have more wheat, less wheat, or the same planted? So this is, this is the joke I have with everybody. Um, it was funny, you know, last fall, we had a lot of commercial wheat and a lot of cover wheat planted. And this spring, I can't find any cover crop anywhere. Um, so, you know, it's one of those deals where I would say we've had a pretty aggressive push on wheat acres anyway the last two years. Um, but what is probably the biggest difference is in years past, guys maybe have had some desire to say, you know, here's my bottom, I don't know, 10, 20% of my acres of wheat. I just don't know that I'm going to do anything with it. But, you know, with the, with the markets where they are right now, and I will, I will take a little divergence here just to give some folks a comfort. When you watch the markets and you see where the markets were, don't think that people are always selling wheat at that. I have a lot of guys that have gotten frustrated on some contracts and whatever else that they see, but realize that you know, those peaks, very few people are even buying. So, you know, that that nine to maybe at the most 10 mark is about all that anybody's doing. But regardless, at that level, you know, there's very few acres that you're going to say are bad enough that you're not at least going to give it a try. You know, go ahead and give some nitrogen, see how much we can get it tillered out. Go ahead and let it go for a while. And, and I know for myself and others, the recommendation always is, is if you're really unsure of it, most of the time, you know, we can we can trade up that that acre maybe with a corn acre. So if I'm pushing a bunch of nitrogen on it and I decide to terminate that wheat, I can bring corn in behind and I'm not losing that nitrogen. You know, it's not a total loss. Um, so that's one of the things to your point. We've got a little more acres than typical, but I think we're probably going to even take a higher percentage of acres to actual harvest than we have seen in a long time. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. I'm back, John. 
I'll back Jonathan up on that. We've seen this year more than we've ever seen guys keeping acres that were designed for the cover crop program. And instead of going ahead and terminating those in, you know, and then getting ready to plant corn or, or whatever, um, they basically did exactly what Jonathan said, let them go, did some stand evaluation as we started to get some spring tillers and maybe decided there was a few fields out there that were worth keeping based on the commodity market. So that's definitely been a shift um, a little bit more this year for us too. Yeah, makes sense. And and I, uh, my calculations by doing it with kind of average um, yields across the board, the wheat with soybeans behind it, that double crop rotation for the last five years has been the most profitable acre um in our area so we like you said jonathan we've seen a big shift in in more and more of those acres coming in i couldn't agree more yeah so john you hit on a point i wanted to touch on um mother nature's crazy and it uh we don't know what tomorrow brings it seems like and i feel like it's not as consistent. Temperatures aren't as consistent as they used to be. Like, you know, it used to gradually, a spring used to gradually get warmer. A winter, you know, in the fall, it used to gradually get colder. And it's like a roller coaster ride, the craziest roller coaster ride every year, up and down and everything. And you hit on it a little bit. Can you, but can you tell us, like, does that affect the wheat in a negative way or how cold does it need to get to, to hurt it or when, when does it hurt it? So great question. And yeah, you know, we can have frost damage on wheat. The nice part about wheat, though, is that that frost damage really is not even an issue until we get later on in the wheat stage. So one of the one of the unique things about wheat, um, you know, we think about a lot of warm season crops we grow like corn or soybeans and you're afraid of freezing. Um, well, wheat's a crop that grows over winter. It better it better be able to toughen up and be able to go through freezing. Right. Um, so where, where wheat is most susceptible to frost damage is, and, and all of your small grains are this way, the, the most susceptible part is during flowering. Um, one little thing, uh, Ryan brought up some, some barley, you know, thing to keep in mind with barley is barley actually flowers within the boot stage, wheat flowers after, you know, once the head is emerged. So this is some of the reasons why when we do get a late cold snap, sometimes guys will say, well, you know, my wheat's fine, but that barley over there is smacked or one way or the other. And it's, it's more than just, you know, the heading date of those things. It's actually how they flower. But so when we look at wheat, wheat is extremely cold tolerant up basically into that flag leaf period. Once we start to expose that head, and especially once we get those anthers out, you know, we get down there to where we can, we can definitely ding some things up. Um, and then once we, once we get through flowering, Again, we climb a little bit, um, you know, we're up into those, you know, low 30s and stuff, but, uh, but that, that flowering point is the main place where we got to watch out. So Ryan, you brought up um, something you said earlier about uh, just stand counts. And so we have a few newer guys to wheat this year. And, um, you know, you might have a guy who says, yeah, I thought this field looked terrible. What should our guys be looking for when it comes to stand counts and, and what, especially here when we have the later planted um, wheat, what, what can we save? What should we maybe look into not saving? How do we make that determination when it comes to doing stand counts with wheat? Yeah, so wheat's a little bit different, obviously, than corn and beans where we can we can look at maybe stand count, but then we also have to kind of look at basically tillers per plant 
Um, so we like to shoot anywhere between 20 and 25 um, plants per square foot. So depending on your row width and all that kind of stuff, a lot of people will use like a PVC square and look at a couple of different rows and take a measurement. But that's basically the borderline. Once you start to get down to less than 18 plants per square foot, um, you're not, you know, really at an optimal plants per acre. But I've also seen fields that are maybe at that 18 to 15, but they had a, a lot of fall tillering. So basically one plant might have six to seven tillers on it and then those growers will decide to, to keep that so it's a it's a mix of how many plants do i have for acre per acre and then of those plants how many tillers do i have on each one of them uh, but that's kind of the, the ballpark 20 to 24 plants and then on those areas you'd like to have at least three to four tillers and then if you're below that you really want fall tillers because they're more responsible for yield um, at the end of the year than spring tillers. Well, they'll contribute, um, but a lot of times those late spring tillers that we see are the ones that are lower in the canopy. They tend to get less sunlight. They tend to have less kernels per head, uh, but that's kind of what we look at for it. All right, Jonathan, the million dollar question here. Nitrogen prices are through the roof. Um, can we skimp on nitrogen on wheat? Uh, nitrogen and diesel, the two topics of choice this spring, right? So um, you know, I, I tell everybody, absolutely go throw it on, not spending my money, right? No, I'm just kidding, actually. Um, so nitrogen, one thing that I really like to make sure everybody remembers with wheat and nitrogen is unlike, you know, corn and other things, we actually, nitrogen, take, wheat takes a little more nitrogen than uh, we typically think about. So we're in that 1.1 to 1.2 units of nitrogen per bushel. So let's just think for a moment that you got an 80 bushel crop that you're trying to raise and honestly there's a lot of guys that are going for more than that right well that's 96 pounds of nitrogen um you know nitrogen's expensive but fortunately the wheat market has come right along with it so the the one thing that i keep on encouraging guys is realizing that hey you know we need to be realistic on our yield goal that is the number one thing that i see across all crops this year is this is the year to be really realistic Ryan talked about, you know, taking stand counts and, and all. And so, like, for instance, when we go out there and we look across our stands and we're going to see different stand counts, I talked about some of the planting rate or the planting date differences, right? Well, if we see something that's had some injury, we need to be honest with ourselves on what that yield is because it's going to cost us a lot of money to put nitrogen down. But it's also going to cost, cost us a lot of money if we don't put enough nitrogen down and we cost ourselves yield. So getting that accurate yield estimate, looking at every stand, getting the right idea of what the viability of that stand is, and then pushing it. You know, so again, that 1.1 to 1.2 is a great place to go. This is not a year to skimp. You know, if we were talking $6 weed or something like that, and we had nitrogen prices, I'd be talking a whole different thing. But we need to make sure that we maximize nitrogen. What this isn't, though is it's not the year to go set the buggy or sprayer or whatever else to one rate and cover every single acre you got. Let's, I tell guys all the times, we talk about precision ag and guys will say, I don't have anything set up for variable rate. And I push back on them. I say, sure you do. But all you can do is vary it by the field, right? You may not be able to go foot by foot, acre by acre, but you can still vary rate by field by field because we know that our yields change field by field. Yeah, and, and to back Jonathan up, one of the questions I got this year, you know, it's been, yes, you can get nitrogen for sure, but we've had guys maybe have to try to source different forms, you know, whether it be 28% ammonium sulfate and urea, 
I don't think with wheat, it's necessarily the form that makes the difference or, or how your wheat plant's going to get it. And obviously this is a little late in the ballgame now, but um, we see just as much success in wheat with guys using a urea ammonium sulfate dry mix as we do with guys using 28% streamer bars. So if you run into a year where maybe you can't get 28%, you switch into a dry formulation isn't anything that's going to hold you back on a yield um, aspect of it. All good points. I appreciate that. So I, I have one more thing for you. As we're looking forward, um, the next conversation that I think we always have in wheat is what fungicide do I spray and when do I spray it? You know, do I spray at the, fl at the flag leaf or do I spray at flowering? You know, I know we could probably talk about this topic all day, uh, but if you could each of you, you know, starting with you, Jonathan, give us your, your opinion on um, on the different fungicide timings and, and why we would do them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so you, when you think about a fungicide, there's, there's a couple of different things you're doing. Um, in a lot of our crops like corn, soybeans, we're thinking about vegetative health. And sure, we can go ahead and we can spray a fungicide on the wheat's vegetation, and we can get stuff like powdery mildew, you know, taking out some different things like that. However, that's viable. Um, and for some of our high yield, high yield wheat growers, they're going ahead with that. But I look at that, even though it's the earlier pass, that's the second pass of fungicide. It's the less necessary. The number one thing that I have to be doing is going over that head at flowering. So this is, this is going and taking, you know, trying to maximize our wheat quality, stay away from toxins, stay away from that scab. That has to be, do, has to be done when those anthers are out right? So we have to be really specific on our timing. This is why, you know, when I think about fungicides, I really like these fungicides that are out on the market that have a little longer, basically residual time frame, right? So it's got a little bit of a fudge factor now. It's, it's a lot easier than it was, you know, seven years ago or so where it felt like you had an hour that every acre had to be sprayed in. Um, the other thing that I will say for that, again, on a, on a year like this, you've heard both of us say that we feel like Retained wheat acres are up, probably harvested wheat acres are up, prices up, everything else. Just, just being blunt, if I'm, a, if I'm a buyer, I might be pretty picky this year, right? I'm going to feel like there's a lot of wheat that's out there, and I'm going to be paying a premium for it anyway. So I may be a little less likely to say, well, that's an okay, you know, VOM number or falling number or whatever else. So I think, you know, not only are we managing for high yield, but we got to manage for marketability here as well. And you're going to always get the best price on the flower market. I'm sure feed wheat, I mean, feed wheat always rises with the tide, right? But if you're looking for that top dollar, let's manage it. Let's get it out there at flowering and make sure that that head is, is uh, protected. Yeah, so I guess the easiest way for me to answer that question is we'll, I'll go to both ends of the spectrum. If you're somebody that loves your wheat and it's your favorite crop and you want to do everything you can to keep it clean, honestly, there, we have people making three fungicide applications. So they'll do an early one with a lot of times a single mode of action product like Tilt um, to keep away, you know, any of those things that might be those cold weather diseases that we'll see. And then we'll have um, the next application be around flag leaf um, to try to keep some of the rust or a septoria or anything like that from coming on that leaf and basically minimizing the amount of energy that flag leaf can take in. And then like Jonathan said, we'll have them come back at that 10.5.1, that flowering with some of the 
most expensive, you know, high, high cost products like Moravis Ace or Prosaro or something like that. So that's somebody, if you really love your wheat and it's your favorite crop and you want to do everything you can, you can spray it three times. So basically, if you're somebody that doesn't love wheat, you want to spray it at that flowering stage because that's, you know, where our wheat is going and the end consumption of it, you'll really get hurt um, on the commodity side of it. So figure out where you are in that range of loving wheat or hating wheat, and that's where you can spray. Both of you brought up great points with that. And you, the flour mills really control it in our area, you know, in the Northeast here, you know, whether it's for pretzels or tasty cakes and that kind of stuff. So when you look at our row crops, wheat is the closest one to the end consumer. Um, and, and so they, they are a lot more picky. And, they, you know, they will dock you for vomitoxin or not even take it, frankly, sometimes for vomitoxin or falling numbers. You know, so they are a lot more picky. And, and Jonathan, you brought up great points there um, with the way the prices are and uh, the how picky they're probably going to be because our markets stay local. We don't necessarily export them, really. You know, they're local markets. Um, so all great points to bring up. And as always, guys, that conversation was amazing. Um, it, it hopefully, growers will take 20 minutes to uh, to sit down and listen to that, and they'll be uh, they'll definitely learn something. That's for sure. We appreciate that. So now we're going to move on um, to our weekly watch out. This is a section where we ask one of our guests to tell us it's something that our growers should look for over the next seven to 14 days. Ryan, do you have anything they should be looking out for? Yeah, um, I would say check your disc openers and your planting depth on your corn planters. Um, I undoubtedly there is somebody out there that it thinks their corn planter is ready and they have not done a row by row, um, basically depth check and they're going to plant their corn and then they're going to think that there's something wrong with the seed and we, we're corn, our corn is going to be planted at three inches or sometimes that's even a little bit deeper than that. So if you haven't checked your corn planter depth, check it. And if you think you've checked it, check it again, um, because with what it's going to take to grow the crop this year, um, you know, doing the planting job as best we can is uh, probably the most crucial thing. And we need to make sure we're doing everything with the, with the cost of inputs, but then also, again, what there is to gain with some of the commodity prices. So that's that's my lookout. Yep. Good point. Jonathan, what about you? What do you think is most crucial over the next seven to 14 days? So I'm going to roll into right exactly what Ryan said. You know, I, I think the biggest thing we're looking at in the next seven to 14 days is I see some, you know, close to 80 degree temperatures in the forecast, and it's something we haven't seen. So just like Ryan said, go ahead, put that planter in the field and check the uh, depth and leave it at that. So just because it's 80 degrees doesn't necessarily mean it's time to plant. So I, I try to look at a seven degree look ahead on GDUs to try to see, you know, when are we starting to get to that window? We like to see a 90 to 100, to 100 GDU uh, bump or, or accumulation, excuse me, in order to get that corn out of the ground um, in that seven day window. So for Chambersburg, we're not there. I looked up this sunny, wonderful spot called Smyrna, Delaware, Chris, and uh, calculated it there. We're not even going to be at, the, at it there, you know. So, again, looks like really warm temperatures. But watch those nightly lows. I mean, those overnight lows are really what control our soil temperatures. That's some of why, you know, especially in my area, guys feel like wheat is really holding back, even though we've had some stuff. We're still cold at night. And those cold nights keep our soil temperatures low. And soil temperature has a tremendous amount to do with our what our wheat's experiencing and has everything to do with that what that seed is. 
So go ahead and use next week, use the beautiful weather to be out there to get ready to go. But realize that we're, we're just probably not quite there. In fact, even on the whole 14-day forecast, looking at the next two weeks, I'm not really seeing a huge opportunity to go out there, and especially on corn. Maybe we'll get a couple of days, but even soybeans, you know, we're, we're looking at nighttime temperatures that are going to keep those soil temperatures down, and it's going to take a long time to get them out of the ground. So take this time, get all the, you know, odds and ends stuff wrapped up so that whenever this uh, opportunity does present itself here in a few weeks to get started, we can really just be out smooth and everything be planted to the optimum. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, I know it's tough. You know, you're sitting there all cooped up all winter and you just want to get out there and plant. You see an 80 degree day, and you're like, let's go. Um, but like we talked about before, I mean, the temperatures are a roller coaster ride here lately. Um, so making sure you're looking at that 10 day forecast and making sure that, that seed is going to have the best chance. Because at the end of the day, the, you know, the, the highest yield potential that bag of corn has is when you still have it in that bag. And then it just goes down from there. So we want to try to mitigate as many as of those, uh, you know, yield limiting factors as we can, and getting a, getting the, uh, the best start possible. A lot like Ryan said, making sure you're checking your planner, making sure everything's right there. Like Jonathan said, making sure you're checking the weather, making sure it's as good as it can get there. You're never going to have perfect weather, but but you want to try to get it as good as you possibly can. So both awesome points. So thank you all for joining us today on the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy podcast. If you have any questions regarding the winter wheat progress, please notify your Pioneer sales rep. And be sure to join us next week when we discuss another timely agronomic topic. We hope you enjoyed the conversation this week and don't forget to search Pioneer Agronomy Northeast on your podcast app for more insights and solutions fueled by forward-thinking farming. Thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.